Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Optimize Your Capacity podcast, where our goal is to educate health professionals on all levels to not only help their clients, but to help themselves as well. We hope you enjoy the content that we're going to be discussing today, and if you do, please subscribe to the podcast. That way you can see when any new podcast comes up, and ideally we can start to spread the word. Today's podcast will be a more discussion-based podcast. Forgive some of the quality. Some of this podcast was actually recorded in a car, so there will be... All right, everybody, we're back here. Another discussion-based podcast. Topic we're going to be discussing today is bridging the gap. How to take rehab into performance or strength training and how to ensure your strength training is promoting movement quality and efficiency. You hear a lot of awesome quotes out there. Rehab equals performance. Strength and load is really the only way to promote accommodation and changes. You also hear studies about how the most highly recruited or highest EMG studies out there for core exercises or functional movements such as deadlift and squatting, where a dead bug and a plank have a role, but really to get functional core strength, you need to do functional things. These are all really great. And I really think we get the concept that if we want wellness and performance to be a long-term goal, strength is king. So with these concepts understood, which I think we all have a good grasp of, is then how do we blend this? Because if you're in the rehab world, it can be hard not to get stuck in the rehab world and just have people do bridges for the rest of their life. Likewise, if you're in the training world, you can sometimes get stuck and just ignore significant and potentially harmful movement patterns. So how do you blend the two? So I think in order to describe how to blend the two, there's some principles or some concepts that we really need to review. One would be the concept of pain. Another would be the concept of strength. What is it? A third would be the concept of performance, or what are you training for? What is the training purpose? And then a fourth concept that I think is important is understanding the principles of progression. If you have a sound understanding of these four concepts, I think in the big picture, rehab actually does equal performance. If you're doing a, whatever, acute disc strain, your rehab should in a way have training and performance principles. If you're training Tom Brady, your strength and conditioning training should have a lot of rehab principles. So I don't think there's a big delineation between the two. So let's start to break down some of these concepts. The first concept is pain. I think it's it's important to understand that pain is a central driven mechanism. I've talked about this before, and I think it's common knowledge. There's so much awesome pain research out there, pain science, where I think it's almost actually becoming overwhelming in the amount of evidence that we have out there where people are almost going too far down the rabbit hole of pain science. But I think in the essence, what we need to understand with pain is that pain, again, is a central driver, meaning it's driven from your brain. It's driven from neurological processes. It is not driven from a degree of tissue damage or a mechanism of injury you know a good example here is the amount of pain that you experience is not correlated to a ligament injury so if I have a complete rupture of my MCL 
I might have less pain than a grade one strain, partial strain, no change in the integrity of the ligament, where again, the degree of MCL sprain does not correlate to pain. And if you're a PT, you'll see this. You'll see people with a grade one sprain that act like it's the worst pain they've ever had in their life. You'll see people with a borderline grade three sprain and are walking out like they hardly are injured. This is a difficult concept to talk about with patients or clients because you can't just simply go, oh, it's all in your head. That's going to turn away your client, going to turn away your patient and lead to a slippery slope. But as a trainer or a therapist, we need to understand that pain is a central thing. So you can't let pain rule your program design. And inevitably, we all have pain at some level every single day of our life. To be pain-free for an extended period of time, I don't really think is practical. Obviously, there's different degrees of pain. But you should never have a pain that alters your functional mobility. You should never have pain that alters your psychological status. A pain that is okay to manage, train, deal with is a pain that might restrict movement, a pain that might create a dull, throbby, achy, pressury pain, but a pain that should reside with rest, with a change in position. But we have a pain that's progressing, a sharp pain, a pain that's radiating to other regions, a pain that persists when we relax, that's a pain we don't want to fight through. So if you're a strain or a a strength coach or a trainer and you're experiencing pain it's completely understandable then that you're training and strength training against pain and I think the majority of us are already doing that likewise if you're a PT on the other end of that spectrum and you have someone with pain you can't be afraid to load and progress them simply because they have pain alone pain is somewhat inevitable it's the amount of pain the location of pain and how it presents should dictate how your program is designed the next concept is strength, and again, this is another concept that we've talked about a little bit already, but the way I describe strength is really based on three things. One, does it initiate, so whatever we're looking at. So let's just think about, just think about hamstrings, commonly dysfunctional muscle group, common group we talk about a lot. So does it initiate? Can the hamstring initiate in a shortened position? Can it initiate in lengthened position? Can it initiate with rotations in different pelvic positions? then once you find your pattern of dysfunction does it have the ability to produce force so if you increase the load can it maintain the force production that it's producing the last would be the endurance can it actually last what you're asking and typically actually the way it presents functionally is the first thing you're going to uh, lose is the power or the force production the next thing you're going to lose the endurance or the uh, long-term capability of force production and so it's good to think about strength in those three components so if we think of strength in those three ways you can then think about it in isolation i.e. a prone knee flexion PNF pattern or you can think about it functionally in a deadlift pattern if you have cool tools like uh, external EMG probes that can give you hamstring output, that's great. You could do tactile feedback. You could ask the patient where they're feeling the muscle if you're doing a functional pattern. Whatever you can do to ensure that there is a response and initiation in that muscle group. This point, uh, this point is important because when you're trying to blend rehab and training, we have to understand what strength is. So in the rehab world, strength is a little bit more on the initiation endurance aspect of things. Where in the training and strength world, the strength is a little bit more based on the power and the force production side of things.
So as a PT, we need to make sure that we're not just doing neuromuscular control forever because we're probably not going to get the hypertrophy and force production changes that we need for functional changes. Likewise, if you're a trainer and you're only training whatever, five sets of fives of deadlifts, which is great for power production and overall muscle hypertrophy, you might be missing the boat on is the hamstring actually doing their job or are they achieving it through compensations. So have your platform, have ways to test these three pillars of strength so then you can correlate your strength testing to your purpose. Is it neuromuscular? Is it force production? Is it endurance? Is it power? Etc. The next pillar that we're going to talk about, or the next concept, excuse me, that we're going to talk about, specificity, or what is your purpose with training and performance? If we don't have a purpose, we don't have any way to build the program. A common saying is if you can't test it, then you shouldn't be training it. But for the purpose of training strength and performance, we need to understand is our goal weight loss? Is our goal vertical force production? Is our goal movement efficiency for squat and deadlift patterns? Is our goal skiing? Whatever our goal is, we need to understand that and make sure we build our program for training, for rehab to correlate to it. So let's come up with an example. If you're in the rehab setting and you have someone who has patellar tendonitis and they're a pickleball player, you need to understand the movement patterns that are demanding or required of pickleball to then correlate your strength and conditioning that you're doing in the rehab setting to prepare them for their activity. That might be your traditional hip hinge patterning. It might be split squat positioning that they're gonna do for maybe a a plyo step to get to the ball. It might be the capacity to move the pelvis on the lower extremity or move the rib cage on the pelvis or controlling the transverse plane. You have to understand, again, the purpose of your client or the purpose of your strength before you build a strength and conditioning program. And I think this is something the strength and conditioning profession and performance coaches already have done such a great job that the PT world often does a very poor job at. Strength professionals do a great job of creating an intake profile that correlates their measures to the athlete. Maybe you're having a football player and they're doing the 5-10-5, the two-leg bound test. Maybe they're having basketball players and they're doing more of a vertical hop profile. But I love how the strength and conditioning world will do global movement pattern assessments like the FMS as part of their intake. So again, they can correlate where they see their dysfunctions to the goals that the client currently has. In the rehab world, we need to do a better job of this. And if you're trying to blend rehab into training, this is probably one of the key principles you need to zone in on. If we go back to that patellar tendinopathy, we do a great job of assessing knee range of motion, patellar mobility, hip range of motion, glute firing, single leg stability, basic squat patterns. And we do a good job of assessing overall movement efficiency, but we often drop the ball on, again, getting specific with our test retest model to make sure our client is ready to truly get back out to pickleball. And so what happens is they pass all these PT tests, Their Thomas test is perfect. They can do a straight leg raise without lag. They have an awesome bridge. Maybe their handheld dynamometry is stronger on their involved side compared to their non-involved side. But you miss these global movement patterns, i.e. the FMS. You miss your specific testing 
that correlates to pickleball and they go back out to play and they still have knee pain or maybe they get a different injury. And this is probably one of the reasons why our ACL return to sports have such a difficult time is that we're not truly getting our athletes ready for the sport that they're trying to get back to. The fourth concept that I want to talk about are principles of progression. And this is maybe something that the strength and conditioning people do a little bit worse with and the PT people do a little bit better with. But again, if we're trying to blend the two, we all need to do a better job of doing this. So principles of progression are understanding quick ways to take whatever exercise pattern that you're working on and know how to make it harder or easier. If someone simply can't do a deadlift, that doesn't mean you abandon ship on the deadlift and you give up on it and maybe come back to it weeks later. You need to have ways to regress the pattern to make it easier to groove the pattern, improve the neuromuscular control, improve the capacity to then come back to it. Likewise, if you're deadlifting a 20-pound kettlebell off the ground for the rest of your life, you're not going to get the adaptations that you're looking for to build strength and eventually change performance. So what are some principles of progression that we should all have some foundational knowledge on how to quickly change to make it harder or easier? One would be basic support. Two-legged stance. Even before that, assisted and TRX, maybe they're even supine, prone, quadruped, modified weight-bearing positions, then you're having them in a two-leg stance. Then you might go in a split stance. Then you might go into single-leg stance. And then you might go into more of a plyometric position where it's two-legged based. Then you're maybe going two to one leg on a plyometric, and then you're doing single leg plyometric. But your base of support, or the amount of weight-bearing services you have, is a quick, easy way to progress or regress. Another one would be planes of motion. And I think PRI does an awesome job of describing exercise progressions and planes of motion. One would just be the sagittal plane is where you would start. Flexion, extension, forward and back. Step two would be the frontal plane, ab, adduction lateral movements and then the third or the hardest plane to control would be the transverse plane now you don't have to be cookie cutter it's not like you do every single exercise in the sagittal plane before you progress to the frontal plane but you might do a higher loaded higher speed exercise in the sagittal plane and a lower loaded or loader speed exercise in the frontal plane another principle of progression would be the surface you could have a stable surface like the ground you could progress to a unidirectional you know, unstable surface like a balance board. You could progress to a triplanar unstable surface like a BOSU. You could have a triplanar unpredictable surface uh, such as the shuttle balance. Again, quick, easy ways to make the exercise easier or harder. Another obvious principle would be load. Load can sometimes just simply be gravity assisted. So you're doing an exercise like a overhead raise and side lying where they're partially fighting gravity and then progressing to a standing position. Load can also obviously be the weight. So going from gravity resisted to holding a band or tube resisted to eventually holding a weight or a kettlebell. Load can also be changed by the rhythm of it or the time under tension. So if you have a one-to-one relationship 
the load would be technically easier than maybe a four to one eccentric to concentric relationship or a four to four to one of an eccentric isometric concentric relationship load has so many different ways to progress and regress outside of just simply changing the weight another principle of progression would be speed and i think this is something with the the pt world that we could do a better job of even if i'm 75 years old i need to be able to produce some sort of force production to get out of a chair even if i'm 75 years old i need to be able to produce some sort of speed and force production to move up and down a step to cross a crosswalk to move out of the way of something coming at me. In the PT world, we typically do more prolonged holds, maybe more of your traditional one-to-one ratios, and don't really get into speed. So ways to change speed would obviously be more of like a one-to-one relationship or a metronome of one second up, one second down. You can also change speed um, by simply making more of a plyometric exercise where you're forcing them to move faster or the activity won't happen, a self-limiting exercise. You can change speed with the use of something like a Kaiser pulley system that gives you a watt or force uh, production number, which is a speed-related measurement. There's cool tools out there like a push band, um, a tendo unit where you actually attach tools to a bar or a kettlebell where it'll track the speed for you. Once you hit less than 80% of your one your first rep, you know you've lost speed production and the set is becoming less valuable. Again, in the PT world, I think we need to do better at changing speeds and loads to really blend that world of rehab to strength and conditioning. So let's step back and kind of review some of these concepts and look at a big picture. From the PT side of things, I think we do a good job of understanding pain and understanding principles of progression, but we need to do a better job of understanding the task or the specificity of what we're training, understand how to load people and change load, and understand how to use speed and uh, the principles of speed progressions. And I think in the strength and conditioning world, there's an always way of learning more about pain, what pains are good and not good to fight through. In the strength and conditioning world, I think we get too locked in on force production and how much weight they're moving and maybe their vertical height, and we expense movement quality at the same point. So the strength and conditional professionals maybe do the FMS at the intake, but don't come back to it to see that they're getting improvements. If you're doing your training right in either setting, you should see changes in a movement pattern within two to three weeks. And if you're not coming back to reassess it, you're probably dropping the bar and missing something. But I know there's some strife or maybe a little bit of some battle between the two, but I really think the two should blend so well together. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Optimize Your Capacity podcast, where our goal is to educate health professionals on all levels to not only help their clients, but to help themselves as well. We hope you enjoy the content that we're going to be discussing today, and if you do, please subscribe to the podcast. That way you can see when any new podcast comes up, and ideally we can start to spread the word. Today's podcast will be a more discussion-based podcast. Forgive some of the quality. Some of this podcast was actually recorded in a car, so there will be some background noise, but I think the content is really solid, and I think you guys will enjoy what we discuss. The topic will be glute training, how to assess, and ideally promote efficient glute control. Enjoy. Where if you're a PT, you should have several strength coaches in your area that you refer to 
to help you take that person to the next level because often you're discharging someone at 75% because the insurance is the limitation and you need that someone to help collaborate with you to take them all the way to that next level so they don't come back in the clinic with the same injury. If you're a strength and conditioning professional, you need to have a team of PTs, chiros, health professionals that help you manage those difficult people who are having pain that you can't figure out, help you manage those clients who you've done everything in your tool bag to get the squat pattern more efficient, but you've come up short. The collaboration is huge, and I think both sides need to always be having that, wearing both hats of blending strength and rehab. I hope that was valuable to you guys. I hope some of those concepts you can take away. And the big thing is I want you to leave with this with a a good uh, observation of where your own shortcomings are and hopefully some motivation to find some professionals in your area that you can collaborate with to make sure that all of our clients get the best outcomes possible. Enjoy and have a good day. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Our goal is to help individuals like you learn practical knowledge you can apply today. If you want more information about how you can improve your capacity, visit our website at capacitypt.com. We have tons of info, including blogs, exercise videos, ebooks, and more. We're soon to offer services such as mentorship for clinicians and trainers, as well as online rehab and training. Stay tuned. If you liked this episode, it would mean the world to us to leave a review. Again, our goal is to help and influence as many people as possible, and the best way to do that is through word of mouth. Leave us a review, tell your friends about it, shoot us an email with your feedback. We wish everybody the best. Expand your capacity.